Hey everybody, welcome to episode 24 of the podcast at Ghost Nick. I'm your host, Jason Minimal, and this week we have a special mini episode. Um, all new X-Men 10 came out and I was too excited to wait. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about it now and I'm going to cover the rest of the stuff that came out this week too. So I hope you enjoy it and uh, let's get to it. Alright, here we go. First thing I want to talk about, really kind of the reason I'm doing this, all new X-Men number 10. I wanted, I know this when this episode comes out, some of this might be already kind of wrapped up, but there's a cliffhanger in this episode that I just, I couldn't wait for the rest of this month's episode. I had to get it out now. So um, anyway, let's, uh, let's jump right to it. It is written by Brian Michael Bendis. Penciled by Stuart Eminen. Eat by Wade Von Grabiger. The colorist are Marte Gracia and Rain Barreto. Uh, the letter is VC's Corey Pettit. Eminen, Grabiger, and Gracia did the cover. And oh my goodness, what a cover. So you have Wolverine and all the young X-Men like falling out of the sky. And they it's just, it's fantastic. I wish it was. I wish it was bigger. Like I wish this was just part. You know, sometimes a cover will be will be part of an image. I wish that's what was going on. But Eminem nails it. Wolverine looks pissed as all get out, and the red coloring by Gracia only embellishes the feeling. You have young Cyclops behind him shooting out an optic blast, and they're all yelling. Beast, Angel, Iceman, Jean Grey uses some some. Mental powers. It's just, man, it's a really, really, really awesome cover. Yeah, it's, wow, fantastic. And then we open up and we're at a, uh, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there's a large transfer of funds being delivered, I guess, to a bank. And they get attacked. And out of the sky, we have Wolverine and the Young X-Men. And this panel is... Different than the cover, but equally as awesome. It's a full-page splash, and we get the whole scene this time. So we have all of Wolverine, and not just kind of his shoulders and up like we did on the cover. And all the X-Men look super pissed and super aggressive. So the X-Men land, and they start taking out the guards. And they're cutting right through, and Wolverine's being super brutal and super savage. And he looks over, he's got blood dripping off his claws. He's like, how much? And we see the delivery, the truck, armored truck driver start to turn a shade of blue. And he says, 18 million. 
Wolverine's like, it's a start. Damn right it is, Victor. And we see, of course, the armored truck driver is indeed Mystique. And that Wolverine is really Sabretooth. And Mastermind, the female version, his daughter, has tricked all the, the guards and the security into thinking they're being attacked by the X-Men. And I thought it was interesting that she chose Mystique or, or Mastermind. Or I think Mystique's kind of calling the shots. Of course, Mastermind did the, the mental work. But I thought it was interesting she chose the young X-Men instead of, like, the uncanny X-Men who would already kind of be suspected of all that anyway. I'm assuming this plays into some kind of plan she has. But um, we will see. So anyway, the, some of the guards are begging for their life, and then suddenly there's nothing there. And they're in an empty room, and one guard has been killed, Gary. And they're like, it was mutants! So then, of course, remember episode 9 left off with that humdinger, Cyclops and the Uncanny X-Men showing up at the Jean Grey school and so, and kind of interrupting the day-to-day operations. So we have Wolverine looking out the window, and Quentin Quire's like, Come on, Wolverine, you have to give him props for galactic-sized cojones. <laughs> Wolverine's telling all the students, Back to your seats! And Quentin Quire wants to know, Do we get to watch the fight? Is there extra credit if we... And Wolverine tells him to shut up. And so Cyclops says, We come in peace. He doesn't want to hurt anybody, especially not fellow mutants. He wants to clear the air and make an offer. And Kitty Pride storms out, says that Cyclops is crazy, and young Cyclops is right behind him. And he, he's like, it's hard not to take that personal, personally, Professor Pride. Or no, sorry, Professor Kitty. And she says, I met the other one over there. He's like, I know, but still. And then Cyclops says, my offer is this. Old Iceman calls him out. If it involves you standing trial for the murder of Charles Xavier, we accept. And Cyclops says, you know, we all have blood in our hands, basically. But Old Iceman says, but only one of us murdered Professor X in front of the rest of us. But Scott says, it wasn't me. I would never do that. I love Professor X. And if any of you really think I, of my own power and in my own mind, would do that, then kill me now. Of course, Wolverine frowns and Cyclops kind of stares at him. And then a big Krakoa opens up and swallows the uncanny X-Men. <laughs> awesome scene. A young Iceman's like, whoa, what was that? The front lawn's a mutant? I love this place. And then the Uncanny X-Men bust out. It looks like either with Magic's power or Magneto's power. I'm not sure. But we get a sham, And Krakoa spits them out. Wolverine tells Cyclops to leave. Uh, Cyclops says, not until I've said what I came here to say. Wolverine says, no one wants to hear you talk yourself out of taking responsibility for the shit you've done in your life. And Quentin Quire's in the back, like, rubbing his knuckles. He's like, got him, teach! I think he just likes violence. And, you know, his character is definitely, like, just always needles authority. You know, he's the same character that, that wore a Cyclops' right t-shirt. <laughs> but now he wants Wolverine to kill him. He just likes the conflict. But, of course, this is where Cyclops drops a bomb on Wolverine and all the other older mutants. 
where he says they've opened a school and they're accepting applications. And Magic says, even from time to space, original X-Men who are probably destroying the fabric of time and space by being here. And of course, the Jean Grey staff protest. The Cyclops says that they're doing good work, but there's crap coming down the line with all the new mutants popping up. There's going to be a backlash. He says, new mutants are popping up all over the world, and with that will come confusion. That will lead to fear. That will lead to hatred. With that will come a series of violent attacks on our people. It always does. We can train you to fight back, fight for each other. And then Old Cyclops says it. At the new Xavier School. And they all, <laughs> everybody gasped. Even Quentin Quire's like, the new Xavier School? And Iceman, Old Iceman says it's in terrible taste. And Storms kind of sees, gets the temperature of the situation. It's like, you really should go. And Wolverine, looking so mad, he looks like a gorilla, says, Xavier School? All right, you son of a... And then young Jean Grey comes up. Or I guess Jean Grey. <laughs> and she says, James, what will that do? And calms Wolverine down. I don't know if she's actually using her influence knowing what Wolverine feels about Jean Grey or if she's playing with his mind a little bit like she did earlier with Young Angel. Not sure. But either way, Wolverine very reluctantly calms down. And Cyclops says he's not here to steal anybody, that everybody has a choice. And he says, Stay here and know that we, as your fellow mutants, will protect this school from all comers with everything we have. And Kenny's like, We don't want your... But the, and then Cyclops continues, but the new Xavier School is where you will train to fight and fight back hard. We tried being messengers. We tried being pacifists. We tried hiding in plain sight. We tried everything but letting them know what we really truly are, what Xavier trained us to be. And then Old Beast steps in. What is that, Scott? Warriors. And then they kind of argue with each other. Uh, old Cyclops says, who will do anything for what we believe is right? And aren't you the poster boy for that, Henry? Of course, Henry questions him. He says, you're not? You do whatever you think is right, no matter what the cost to space or time, no matter what the cost to our future or past. And basically says, we have a second chance as mutants, and we're going to fight for it. And he says, Gene, um, me, <laughs> all of you, it is good to see you. I don't know how long you plan on staying here, but you should go home. I look at you and wish I still saw the world as simply as I did back then. I really do. I know my words seem scary, and I know seeing, we, seeing me with Magneto must seem insane, but I have learned through experience that the world won't help us. Ask your friend Hank McCoy here how the Phoenix ended up in us in the first place. And then see if you're so willing to blame me for this thing you know deep down I would have never done. Anyone who is ready to come with us, we will be back later to take you to your new life. Think about it. That's all I ask. And we see all the staff and students. And the magic teleports the uncanny X-Men away. And Wolverine's salivating. He's like, I hate him! And young Cyclops says, what, what did that mean? What about the Phoenix? And Kenny explains that Iron Man uh, accidentally split the Phoenix up and then inhabited the X-Men. As young Cyclops says, and the phoenix drove me crazy, and then I killed Xavier? And he looks at old Beast and says, That's different than what you told me. 
And Obi says, no, it isn't. Your older self reveled in that power. He, just like you heard then, he sees himself as the one to make things the way they should be, according to him. And then an awesome panel. Cyclops looks at him, young Cyclops, and says, and you don't? And I know it's just, sh- oh, I, I know it's intentional. I know it's also just supposed to be shadowing. But the shadow makes little X's on his uh, ruby quartz glasses. And it looks awesome. And it kind of shows him, like, struggling. And plus, it symbolizes, like, because old Cyclops, his new uniform has the X as the visor, like a big red X across, like, his face. Kind of like Racer X, kind of similar in uniform. And so this kind of is, like, maybe foreshadowing, maybe not, that at least young Scott is capable of some of the same stuff. Because they are the same person. Anyway, I thought it was really cool and very artistically dramatic and compelling. But Old Beast continues, You should have done everything in your power to contain and control your... himself. An exercise of power. Instead, you just jumped at the chance to abuse it. Now you are oh so surprised that it didn't work out. A young Cyclops says, Tony Stark accidentally put me in that position. Tony Stark loaded the gun. You pulled the trigger. Not me. He. Not me. This isn't what you said. This is exactly what I said. And then he says, talks about Cyclops putting together an army to fight the humans and he's using Xavier's name to do it. That fight will be the end of any chance of peace. And young Cyclops says, stop it, just, just stop. And he storms off. And we see a panel of Wolverine with all the students behind him. He says, back to class. And they're just standing there. Then the next panel is yelling, No! And all the students are gone. You get like a cartoon, like, as soon as he raised his voice, they all split as fast as they could. That was pretty funny. Really nice. So we, uh, we're back at the raft, and a shield helicopter lands, and Maria Hill gets off, and she gets accosted. Of course, remember that Mystique landed on the raft as Maria Hill, and Sabretooth massacred all the troops. So they scan her, see that everything's okay. They go into the building and see all the bodies that Sabretooth killed. And young Jean is upset that she couldn't read the uncanny X-Men's minds. And Storm tells her about Magneto's helmet and says they probably all have are outfitted with something to prevent uh, psychic attacks. So Wolverine's trying to figure out where they are. Kitty suggests Utopia. Storm says, no, it's the first place we'd look. He's at the last place we'd look. And young Iceman says, or maybe the last place we'd look is the first place he thinks we'd look. And Storm, Kitty, and Wolverine all stare at him. And young Iceman says, shutting up now, and he salutes. <laughs> and Jean says something interesting. She says, I must say, Scott Summers seems genuinely, genuinely as disappointed in you as you are with him. And young Angel says, I noticed that too. And Beast, young Beast asks if any, if they think any of their students will go with them. And Kitty says this, the Stepford sisters will. They're, they are loyal to Emma. Quentin Quire might just to be a little prick. <laughs> and uh, Wolverine and Storm talk about the idea of sending somebody undercover, maybe. And Iceman, old Iceman chimes in, but Emma Frost is one of the strongest psychics on the planet. So... They see Scott wandering around outside. And then they get a buzz from S.H.I.E.L.D. Kitty Pride says, uh-oh, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s on the line. And Wolverine says, uh-oh. <laughs> and Kitty says, yeah, I know, I just said that. And so is Maria Hill on the holodeck. She's like, X people. 
You don't happen to know where Raven Darkholm is. He's not on staff there or anything. And I'm like, no, no, no. And, and she explains what happened. And she asks if anyone's been around Mystique. And everyone's like, no, not recently. But Kitty says, that's not exactly true. And Jean says, Scott. But before they can wrap into that up, the Uncanny X-Men return. And old Cyclops looks at young Cyclops and says, you're still here? Why don't you go home? I mean, back to your time. He says, because we know what happens to us when we go. We know that Gene dies, and we know that Xavier dies. Interesting that he doesn't blame Cyclops. He just says that he dies. He doesn't say you killed him. So he's definitely been doing a lot of thinking and knows that the truth is more complicated than Beast has went on. He says, and we as a group don't feel we are going to do what we set out to do. So we're going to stay here and do what we set out to do. He says, you wouldn't take a second chance if you were given it? And Emma Frost says, no one gave you anything. You're stealing it. But old Cyclops kind of nips in the bud. He says, all right, well, as promised, we returned. So who among you will answer the call? And of course, as predicted, the Stepford sisters, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> the Cuckoo sisters, uh, they're going to go because they don't like it there anyway. And they're like, is anyone else? And young Cyclops says, we're staying here to do what we set out to do as X-Men. Well, you're offering... Isn't it? And then we get a voice-off panel. I'm coming with you. And Cyclops turns around. No. And then Kitty says, oh, no. And Wolverine says, you, you can't do this. And that's where we stop. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. All right. So first things first. This issue was awesome. It had action, character development, humor. The art was flipping fantastic. Inks and colors, everything. Don't leave the letter out. Just a, another really, really good book. That's kind of ten in a row for all new X Men. All right, so so major uh, highlights. Scott coming back to kind of steal students without stealing them is brilliant, and it makes sense if we just want to say, hey, look, no blood, no foul, but we're on different sides of the philosophical fence here. If you like where you're at. And what these guys at Jean Grey School are teaching you, stay here. If you don't, you want to do something different, we'll teach you something different. You know, Bendis is making um, Cyclops a lot more complex and a lot more like I thought he'd be in AVX. But I guess, you know, with, with the Phoenix 5 stuff, he really was kind of out of his mind. And and this ended up becoming like very much a pure bad guy. And now he's very much back in the gray category in both this and Uncanny X-Men. And they're both written by Bendis. And so we get a lot of um, cohesion, a lot of um, stability in the character. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? When everything is the same. Consistency. <laughs> yes, a lot of consistency with the way these characters are being written by Bendis. So that's really, really cool. Whether you think Beast did a good thing or not, and honestly, I don't care because it makes for a great story <laughs> that he brought the X-Men back. But there is definitely a sense that he's saying things only the way he sees them. And things are a lot more complicated than that. And I thought it was cool that some of the young X-Men are kind of starting to call him out on that, and at least young Cyclops. So that part was really, really cool. Um, yeah, so let's let's get to the end, though. Like I said, by the time this episode comes out, I don't know, because Uncanny X-Men comes out next week. 
I don't know if that is going to continue this story or it's going to be kind of one of those things where it tells the same story from the other side of the coin. So we see the Uncanny X-Men show up like they did previously and then they, they we get the conversation from their side. Then they go back to their base and they'll... That's what I think is going to happen in the issue. They'll go back to the base and they'll talk about the first conversation that they had at the Jean Grey School. And then they'll go back to the Jean Grey School and they'll get the, the twins and whatever. And I think we'll have the same exact, exact thing. There'll be an off panel of, I'm coming too. And, and instead of being shocked and awed, they'll be like, all right, cool, come on. And it'll end without us seeing it. I think they'll save that revelation for all new X-Men number 11. Not 100% positive, but that's what I think. So, but regardless of whether we find out next week or towards the end of the month, I kind of want to speculate on who I think is going to be. I think there's two real options, first and foremost. The number one option, though, I kind of hope it's not. All right, so the one I think is most likely is the one I want less. The one I think is second most likely is actually the person I would pick to go. But, you know, whatever business does, we will trust. Okay, so what I think is going to happen is that it's going to be Jean Grey. Not that she's not having a good time or that she doesn't fit in at the school. I just think she's the one that said, well, it seemed like Scott was disappointed in in y'all as much as y'all are in him. She's already been gotten on to by Kitty Pride for a kind of forcibly calming Angel down. And just as shocked as everybody is and the expressions we get from the X-Men, it seems like that's who it would be. Because young Cyclops is like, no. And Kenny's, oh no. And Wolverine is, you, you can't do this. Like, they're shocked beyond shocked. And so that's why I think it's going to be Jean Grey. I think if it's not Jean Grey, it's going to be Young Angel. He's been bent out of shape the whole time. He doesn't like what's going on. It would make sense that maybe he would say, okay, well, if I'm stuck here against my will, I'm going to go try this. And that that makes sense as a storytelling arc. Also, it would just be cool because while I enjoy the two Icemen together, the two angels together, while it made for some very compelling scenes, I kind of like to see them split up team-wise. I don't know. That's the one that's kind of most appealing. Though I do think Gene being over there would be one heck of a story. But really, any of, of the original X-Men joining the Uncanny X-Men at this point would be a heck of a story. I mean, it's, it's also possible that it's Iceman, but I think he's having way too much fun and is not ready to be that violent and or aggressive I don't think Young Beast would go, though there's a chance he might. I think he's too tied into trying to uh, work with Old Beast and kind of them working together. So those are my thoughts. I would love to hear, you know, if anybody, if this gets out, if they don't reveal it next week and I can get this episode out in time, I would love to hear everybody's thoughts. This is the time. If you wanted to email or comment on Facebook and haven't done it yet, this is the time to do it. Email in. Tell me what you think. Do you agree that it's probably Gene or Angel? Or do you think it's more somebody else? 
and what are your reasons? I would honestly love to hear it. So if you're ever going to give feedback and you haven't done it yet, this is the episode to do it on. So I want to hear thoughts so I can talk about it next time and you know give people some credit for some ideas. Anyway, all right, my dog's barking his head off. i got to wrap this up. All-new X-Men number 10 was awesome, and I cannot wait to find out who it is. So I'm going to give All-new X-Men number 10 three out of three claws. All right, cool. So while we're here, we might as well talk about the other books that came out this week. So next, we will continue with our Extermination Part 3 in Age of Apocalypse number 14. Remember, the overall story is by all three writers, David Lapham, Marjorie Liu, and Greg Pak. This particular book is written by David Lapham. The artists are Andre Araujo. I have no idea how to say that. Araujo and Renato Arlem. The colors are Chris Peter and Lee Luffridge. BC's Corey Pettit is the letterer. Giuseppe Camincoli with Cam Smith. And Rain Barreto did the cover. And another pretty cool cover by Kevin Coley. Uh, we have the Celestial in the background. And some Age of Apocalypse characters kind of stepping out. And we have Sabretooth jumping out. This Prophet guy in the background. And this Deadeye girl behind him. It's a pretty cool cover. I gotta say this Prophet guy looks pretty cool visually. I'm not a big fan of his character so far. I mean I've only read it in this crossover. So I have no idea how cool or not cool he is in his own book. But um, he definitely is, is cool visually. So anyway, we pick up our story. Remember, the three teams came together and now they're splitting up because these creatures have broken through the multiverse and are destroying, have sent entities into these different worlds to destroy them with darkness. So our first team we see is North Star, Hercules... Um, Howlett from Extreme X-Men and Wolverine. And they're coming to our world and they arrive in San Francisco and the dreaming celestial is woken up. And Wolverine says, you might too if an interdimensional portal exploded out of you. And uh, basically the creature that came through to our world is attacking the celestial. And they don't know who's going to win. Uh, Howlett says that Celestials are the most powerful thing in the universe. But Wolverine says, I don't know. They they just sucked up the Xavier head like an egg cream and got bigger and more powerful for it. This could go either way. Then we go back to New Apocalypse. And on this team is Age of Apocalypse Jean Grey, Extreme X-Men Cyclops, Dark Beast, Dazzler, Iceman, and AOA Nightcrawler. And they land, and they're looking for the Apocalypse Jar, which is basically a container that holds the Death Seed, or the Bad Apocalypse Power. Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler regress, and this is all his fault. And the two Wolverines attack the, the creature on the Celestial's chest, and it's not really doing much good. Um, Hercules is able to uh, knock the, the attacker off, and then... He dies trying to slow the thing down. They decide that if they can't defeat the creature, then they can try to keep it from getting getting to the Celestial. So Gambit throws a bunch of cards in front of him to try to make him fall on the ground. I don't know, that's kind of stupid. And they see the Celestial is escaping. So we go back to New Apocalypse. They find the seed 
And then Nightcrawler teleports Jean Grey away. And Dazzle's like, oh, we just got screwed. And so Jean tells Nightcrawler that she had to do it because Prophet believes that the only way to stop these people is to use the Apocalypse power. And maybe if Jean lets it possess her, that she can do that. And Nightcrawler argues with her, it's a dumb idea, she'll lose control and become Apocalypse. There has to be another way. There's always another way. And then Dark Beast jumps in and says, there is. And he kicks Nightcrawler over and kicks Jean and grabs the Apocalypse jar and runs off. And then one of the creatures jumps in. And then the other creature in our world shoots a grappling hook onto the escaping Celestial. But Deadeye shoots it off. But then he attaches to it with his dark energy. And so the Celestial falls to the Earth. And they're now linked by the dark energy. And so the bad guy is getting bigger. And that's where we leave off. Uh, the art's okay. It's kind of distracting. I know that there's clean breaks and that there's the two different artists each did the two different worlds that this issue took place in. But it's still kind of distracting because they're not really very similar at all. In fact, they're both quite different. And I don't know which one's which. But um, they're both pretty different and it's kind of distracting. I still feel like, I don't know, the story's still not really holding my interest. I just don't, you know, to me, like this, the crossover is a chance for you to show... Because right, I'm like one of the audiences for like Age of Apocalypse, one of the intended audiences. I'm someone who hasn't been reading the book. Of course, I think this is the last issue of this book <laughs> and the first one I've read. But um, if it were to go on, the idea would be, okay, I don't normally read it. Here's this crossover that involves characters I do read all the time. So here's your chance... To show me how cool and compelling your characters are. And they're just not doing it. And I guess, I don't know, that's where it falls the flattest for me. Is that there's nothing that makes me wish I'd been reading these books the whole time. I I mean, other than the fact that Prophet looks badass. There's nothing in here that says, oh man, I really missed out. And I really feel like I missed out on this issue. I mean, really, the idea that, that Jean Grey was considering being taken, like, taking on the Apocalypse powers is kind of interesting if I knew that Jean Grey. <laughs> and if I felt like there was a risk, but there's not really for me. And Dark Beast, I know, but I don't like. And same thing with Nightcrawler. So their involvement in that little uh, scene, I don't know. I'm just, I'm jaded against this, this crossover. And I, I will admit that freely. It's just not really my thing. And I'm, I'm trying to find ways for it to sell itself to me, and and so far the covers have been a good way to kind of get it in. But I'm just not really digging it that much. But I don't want to be super negative, Nancy, so I'll just, I'll leave it there. We'll see where it goes. But I'm going to give Age of Apocalypse number 14, one out of three claws. All right, so now let's go to the other age. And, of course, that age would be Age of Ultron, book four. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Brian Hitch, inked by Paul Neary, colorist is Paul Mounts, VC's Corey Pettit is the letterer, Hitch, Neary, and Mounts did the cover, and this cover is Luke Cage busting up some Ultron bots. <laughs> and he looks mad as hell. And I think it's funny because for whatever reason they decided in this story that, you know, obviously... It's dystopian, and, and hygiene is not what it should be. So, you know, he's not shaving his head every day, and some of the guys have beards and stuff like that. 
So it's cool that Luke Cage's hair has grown out. For whatever reason, they decided to take this opportunity to let us know that Luke Cage has a receding hairline. And it's been consistent through the, all four books. That his hair is growing out, but only like halfway back his head. <laughs> anyway, you find that interesting. I also find it interesting because being from Dallas, and being a huge Dallas Mavericks fan, on this cover by Hitch of uh, Luke Cage screaming, looks like when Avery Johnson was a coach of the Mavericks and yelling at the players. <laughs> it looks a lot like him, actually. Though Luke Cage is a lot bigger in statute, statute, in stature than AJ. Uh, still, that's what I what I immediately thought of as soon as I got to the comic shop. So, any other Dallas fans out there, hopefully you appreciate that. Alright, so, we're in Ultron City, built over the remains of Manhattan today. Remember, Luke Cage has taken She-Hulk to Ultron to propose a trade, and they find out it's not Ultron, but Vision. That was the big um, reveal in book three. And so Luke, Luke Cage asks, am I talking to you? Did you do this? Who am I talking to? And Vision says, Ultron can hear you. Ultron can't see you. And then Vision breaks free of his control for a second and says, he controls from the future. He watches and controls us all from the fear. And Luke Cage is like, the damn robot's not even here. And then Vision says, what are what do you have to offer? And She-Hulk is like, enough of this crap. And she throws Luke Cage completely out of the base. And she's like, Luke, like he goes flying right through the sky. Like out of the, out of the thing. And she goes, and she says, I told him I was stronger than him. I'm almost the strongest one there is. Which is a nice, you know, Hulk reference. So she's actually kind of breaking through the robots. And she's going to go, I think, to try either take out Vision or maybe try to rescue him somehow. But then one of the Ultron boat robots literally shoots a laser from his fingertip through her ears, which I guess is not indestructible, and kills her. And Vision looks down. Can't tell if he looks sad or if he's just like, I'm a robot, I don't care. But he looks sad. So that's cool. Luke Cage is still flying through the air, and he gets blasted by an old, the Ultron robots. Is, of course, he can't be hurt, but his clothes are on fire, so he continues to fall. An Ultron robot catches him, and then um, he kind of fights back and does a good job. Of course, he's really mad because he killed his family, killed his friends. He gets surrounded in a building, and the building blows up, and it makes a really big explosion, and I'm not sure why. It, you know, we'll get to what it is later. It's a ginormous, like, bubble of explosion and, like, several city blocks. All right, so we go back to San Francisco. And Moon Knight wakes up. He's talking to Black Widow. And remember, they're in one of Nick Fury's underground bunkers. And they found a black box. And Black Widow found a way to get it open. And they're reading it. It turns out Nick Fury had nice typed up notes. According to Moon Knight. Which I thought was pretty funny. Of a contingency plan for every possibility of the end of the world. And he even has one for this one. So they need to get to the Savage Land. Where one of his bunkers is. And... That's where they're going to go. So then we see above New York. They insinuate this storm is flying everybody. Yeah, she can't do that. I know she's used a gust of wind to like keep somebody from falling or to slow somebody's descent. But I don't think she can gather enough wind to make all these people just float and fly with her. But maybe she can. I don't know. Whatever. And they look down and they see the explosion. And it was a nuclear blast. Uh, how? Not real sure. 
what building Luke Cage was in, that it caused a nuclear explosion, but it did somehow. Um, Invisible Woman says, everybody touch hands. I'm going to turn everybody invisible until we get out of the city. And they do. So Storm flies them all away. Then we're in Chicago. Remember uh, Black Panther, Taskmaster, and Red Hulk were looking for Ultron parts? They got ahead, but then Black Panther broke his neck. So Red Hulk finds Taskmaster and accuses him of trying to get away. He's like, no, I got the head right here. And Red Hulk says, I don't trust you, and punches right through his chest, killing him. And a pretty awesome little scene there. Then he jumps off and does a Hulk jump, and we have eight days later. And what's left of the Avengers arrive in the Savage Land, and there's craters all over the place. And there's a crashed Quinjet. And so... Emma Frost can't scan anybody, but she reminds them she has weaker psychic powers, which fits into current continuity. And Wolverine says he can't smell any machines, which, can you smell machines? Do Ultrons have a smell? I guess they do. So Wolverine says they're going to stay on high ground, and Captain America says, no, we head inland to the Citadel. And Wolverine spots somebody on the cliff and says, it's him, and it's Kazar, or Kazar. And you know what? I'm going to take a moment here. I'm actually really enjoying Hitch's art in this book. So I know I've kind of said he's overrated. He's still not my favorite, but it's been a lot better or a lot more to my liking in this issue. And I actually really like the way he draws Kazar. So uh, someone asked, I can't tell. It was like Hawkeye says, what happened here? And Kazar says, your society failed. Hawkeye says, well, that's a bit of a Captain America says, no, he's right. They go to the village and Emma Frost tells everybody to stop. And Quicksilver's like, why? And Wolverine says, it's Cage. Cage is in there. And Emma Frost is reading his mind. He he survived a nuclear blast. Wolverine says he's dying. He says, you, you don't want to go in there. He piloted a plane, even though he doesn't know how. And flew it all the way here. He crashed miles outside this lane and crawled all the way here. He knows Ultron's secret. The reason we can't get to Ultron is because he... He isn't here. And Hawk, not Hawkeye, who is that? Oh, Spider-Man. He's like, what? And it says, he is punishing us from the future. He is using the vision as a conduit. And Iron Man says, the vision? Our vision? Damn, that explains a lot. And Wolverine, I guess, smelled his death stench and says, he, he just... Emma said that he wouldn't let go. He should have died in the blast, but he wouldn't let go until he told us what we needed to do next. Wolverine's like, which is? We go get Ultron from off screen. And Black Widow, Moon Knight, and Red Hulk are here. And Red Hulk says, and we wipe even the idea of him out of existence. Moon Knight says, entirely. Black Widow says, and God bless Nick Fury because we know just how to do it. All right, so my guess and my hope <laughs> they're going to go back in time and assassinate Hank Pym. And Ultron will cease to exist. I know that's not going to happen. Because we have that new book, Avengers AI, that has Hank Pym in it. So I'm going to figure out another way out of this. I wish that was a plan because I don't like Hank Pym. <laughs> so go kill him. Solves this Ultron problem. Solves the problem of not having Hank Pym around anymore. Right now it's Marvel blasphemy. He's a character that everybody loves but nobody wants to use. Except for nobody actually loves him, I don't think. I think some guy in the Marvel office loves him and wants him to be important. But he's just not. Anyway. Whatever. This book was considerably more enjoyable than the first three. I thought the art was better, and while Bendis has been Bendis quality the whole time, this story was a little bit better, I thought. Luke Cage 
doing his thing and them going to the Savage Land was cool. Still not awesome, but it's better. So uh, I'm going to give Age of Ultron... I want. I really do want to see what their plan is to figure this all out. I'm always kind of curious. So I'm going to give Age of Ultron book four. I'm still going to give it two out of three claws like I did book three, but I feel like we're steadily moving and approaching the really good point. So maybe we'll actually get there, but I'm going to still stay with the two out of three claws for Age of Ultron book four. All right, so last up this week, we have Where's Logan? And this week he's in the Superior Spider-Man number seven. This is, where did the credits go? Written by Dan Slott, penciled by Umberto Ramos, eat by Victor Olazaba, colors by Edgar Delgado, the letters by Chris Eliopoulos. And this cover is pretty sweet. Has the Avengers in the background, uh, Wolverine, Spider-Woman, Captain America, Thor, and Black Widow. And then Spider-Man kind of in an action jumping pose in the foreground. And I gotta say, I'm a big fan of Ramos's art, but um, with the new Superior Spider-Man suit with the, the big toe separated, it looks pretty funny. But otherwise, it's a pretty awesome cover. So, remember the Avengers have been keeping an eye on the new Superior Spider-Man. They're a little bit suspicious because he's been acting suspicious. And we open up with the Heart Clinic and Dr. Elias Wortham has reopened... Uh, Mr. Negative's uh, homeless shelter as a clinic. He's trying to kind of rebrand it. Then we find out he's using it as a secret lab for experimental medical, like, cutting-edge stuff. And doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I gotta say, um, Umberto's version of Cardiac is pretty sweet. He looks pretty uh, badass. Anyway, so they discover there's a child with a brain condition and they need an item. And kind of the specialty here is Cardiac as a vigilante and a doctor in his civilian identity. He's going around getting like superhero and supervillain tech and um, collecting it to uh, perform what he calls medical miracles. So he says, well, there's one item we need that can heal her and I'm going to go find it in the way that only Cardiac can. And so... Then we switch to uh, Peter Parker's apartment. Sorry, Peter Puss. <laughs> and we have Peter Parker's ghost head. And he's trying to figure out a way to get back in his own body and force Dr. Octopus's mind out of it. And he can't. But then he finds out if he tries really, really hard, he can move his arm in his sleep. And so he decides, great, I can use it to write a note. And he tries to write, but apparently he cannot access the um, language center of the brain yet. And then uh, the phone goes off and it's the Avengers. Oh no, I'm sorry, not this time. That's later. This is a police band and uh, Peter uses his own arm to knock the, the note in the trash can so that Dr. Octopus doesn't see that he was trying to write something and get suspicious of what's going on. And so Spider-Man swings into action. We have a nice full page spread. It's pretty sweet. Spider-Man swinging upside down with his webs through the city. And then Ghost Spider-Man kind of trailing behind him saying he's a tool. <laughs> so he gets to this, the, the Yarddale Storage, also known as the Bone Yard. And it's the police impound for superhuman crime scenes. 
and Cardiac is broken in. He's looking for an item. Spider-Man uh, busts in and starts fighting him. And he gets super aggressive and super violent like Dr. Octopus has been in Spider-Man's body. You know, he's playing the part of a hero, but he still has kind of his dark side, I guess. And so Ghost Peter starts yelling and he yells, Stop right there! Because he doesn't want uh, his body to kill Cardiac. And somehow, Dr. Octopus can actually hear him. So he gets distracted, and Cardiac tries to shoot him with his beta, whatever he has. And he misses, but the art in this fight scene is really awesome. Basically, basically they fight. Cardiac finds the crate he's looking for and tries to get away. But Spider-Man flips with his web and pulls it out. And sees it as a neurotic scanner confiscated from Dr. Octopus. So, of course, he's like, no, I'm not letting this go. It's mine. And so him and Cardiac fight some more. And he gets Cardiac in a chokehold. And he's about to try to kill him again. And somehow, Ghost Peter is able to make the punch miss. And he punches the metal wall really hard and hurts his hand. And Cardiac shoots him with everything he has and gets away with the device. But not before... Spider-Puss puts a uh, spider tracer on him. So then he's back in his lab and he gets a call from the Avengers. And it's funny because he goes, I need it at Avengers Tower. And if my skills are required, one can only assume the fate of the world hangs in the balance. So even though it's Spider-Man's body, we still have Dr. Octopus's arrogant mind. And he he gets there and he says, No need to worry, I'm here and we can go now. What's the emergency this time? And then Wolverine, and I really like uh, Ramos' version of the Avengers here, especially as Wolverine. He says, this ain't an emergency, bub. It's an intervention. And Captain America's like, yeah, we, we've been noticing you've been increasingly violent. And you even killed one of your foes. And you almost killed Cardiac. And he's not even really a villain. He's just like a vigilante. And Thor says, these are not the actions of my ally, my friend, the good man I know. And Ghost Spider-Man says, testify! <laughs> but uh, Spider-Puss says, I'm not going to take this. And Captain America says, well, actually, you're an Avenger, so you do have to take this. We're going to run a bunch of tests on you and make sure you're really still Spider-Man. And so Ghost Spider-Man cheers. But Spider-Man says, well, fine, I won't be an Avenger anymore. And he starts to walk off. And Black Widow says, uh, yeah, we're not just going to let you leave. And Wolverine's like, yeah, that ain't happening. I think it's really cool because, like, artistically the way they show Wolverine getting ready for a possible throwdown and they show him pulling on his uh cow as he says this so he's like he's pulling his mask on he didn't have it on he's like yeah that ain't happening bub <laughs> and so Spider-Man tries to walk off Captain America says nope you're getting a physical and he puts his his hand on Spider-Man's shoulder and says it's not a request but then Spider-Man grabs Captain America and whips him then we get a nice snicked, just a Wolverine's fist. And we see Spider-Woman powering up, and Black Widow turns on her wrist darts or whatever she has. And Thor goes, aye, and he grabs his hammer. And then the last page is a full-page spread. And Ghost Spider-Man says, ooh, what I wouldn't give for some ghost popcorn right now. And Thor's like, whoever thou art, stand down or face the wrath of the mighty Avengers. And Wolverine says, what he said, but me? I'm hoping you put up a fight, because I'd just love to carve you a new one. And Spider-Man basically says, bring it on. And so, anyway, just 
thought that was really cool. So next we have AVSM, so Avengers versus Spider-Man. So that should be a throwdown that uh, is pretty awesome, I think. So the story was pretty good. Uh, Slot, I'm still digging Slot's uh, superior Spider-Man so far. The story still has me intrigued with, you know, Ghost Peter trying to find his way back into his own body. It's been pretty compelling. He's taken it in some good twists and turns. And they've had good art with all the various artists, but I particularly enjoyed Umberto on this issue. Uh, the action scenes were really cool. The fights were great. And like I said, I arranged to see uh, Wolverine and the other Avengers take on Spider-Man. It should be a cool fight and another kind of twist in this chapter of Spider-Man's life as he's not himself. So anyway, I give the Superior Spider-Man number seven, three out of three claws. Alright, so that's going to do it for the, this week's mini-sode. I just couldn't leave all new X-Men alone to wait till the next regular episode. I had to kind of get in there and talk about it a little bit. So I really hope y'all give me some feedback on who you think which of the, of the original X-Men is going to join uh, current Cyclops in his kind of revolution. So, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. I know it's kind of short for me, but... uh yeah, it was fun. So, um, I don't know what'll be next. I'm not sure if it'll be, uh, the next flashback episode with Cameron or also next week Wolverine 2 comes out. So I may do that one next. I'm not sure, but, uh, we either have Cameron or Denise. Say hi, Denise. Hi. <laughs> She's over on the couch editing some photos. So, uh, one of them will be with me for at least part of the next episode, whichever one I get done kind of first. But uh, anyway, like I said, uh, please contact, leave an iTunes review, um, go to the website, that's uh, www.snickcast.podbean.com. You can email me, snickcast at yahoo.com, follow me on Twitter at snickcast, and Facebook, we're on Facebook, you can like us, that's uh, facebook.com slash snickedpodcast fan page, and um, that's going to do it. So, um, And uh, if we get 10 more likes, maybe I'll be on a little bit more. <laughs> maybe you will. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. I was about to protest. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're trying to get 10 more likes on our Facebook page. So, so yeah, some of you guys, uh, let's, uh, let's get on the Facebook page and, and email. We had some good stuff to talk about just this week alone. So give me some comments, what you think. Just about the issues. You don't have to even talk about me or the podcast. Just talk about what we're talking about, and I'll uh, talk about it with you. All right, well, I'm going to sign off, so uh, take care, everybody. Hugs and snicks. Bye.